our topic for today, which is the the sharing of information between a mom and a daughter. Like, no, like mom's a real human. And now I get the depth and richness of a real human relationship with you. Hello and welcome to Hug and a High Five. It's a mom and daughter podcast journal. I'm Ingrid, I'm the daughter. And I'm Vicky, I'm the mom. I'm trying to figure out how to be an adult. I'm trying to figure out how to parent an adult and live as an adult who is more than a parent. I live in New York City. And I live in Los Angeles. And this is Hug and a High Five. Hello, Ingrid. Hello, Mom. How are you? I am well. Good. And it's good to see your face on Zoom and hear your voice. Yeah, you too. Last week was a really busy week. I didn't talk to you very much, so I felt disconnected a little bit. I know. I thought about you. Whenever I can't don't work at Trader Joe's, I, I don't always make the time so much to call you so regularly, which I should do because I, I do like talking to you. <laughs> That's okay. I was thinking about you having a good time with your friends in New York. Thank you. I did. I did. Yeah, I had a really um, busy beginning of the week, um, auditions and Trader Joe's. And when you have, when I have early auditions with Trader Joe's, I only get like four and a half-ish hours of sleep. Yeah. So then I have to come home between, after the audition, going to work and take like a two-hour nap and then go to work. Yeah, you described it like having two days. It seemed like such, that, that's a lot of hours out of the 24 to be awake. Yeah, yeah, it was like 19 hours awake of the 24, <laughs> like not enough Mm-mm. sleep. So by the second half of the week, I was like kind of a basket case. And it, I learned about myself that sometimes I stay up too late when I'm lonely. Uh, Which I hadn't quite pinpointed in those words before Mm -hmm. because I found myself Thursday night feeling oddly wired and overexhausted and I was so frustrated that I couldn't just like fall asleep. Mm. But it also had then occurred to me that I hadn't had any meaningful conversations in two days. I had like only been like nice to strangers at auditions and I'd gone to work and I have wonderful friends at work. but They're like work friends, like we're in the middle of working. And your roommate and you had opposite schedules, so you didn't... Well, yeah, the two hours that I had to be home, I had to take a nap or I would not have been physically capable of work. That is interesting. The second half of the week, I did enjoy all my friends. I really soaked up some good community with different people, called some friends on the phone for long periods of time and had some a lot of hangouts with my roommates. So Necessary and important. All's right as well now. Okay, well, here I am geeking out on the science of what you experienced last week because. <laughs> oh, yeah, tell me about it. I, of course, in my uh, parenting classes, am always studying the new topic. And what I've been studying specifically last week is polyvagal theory by Stephen Porges. So um, I have been listening to some podcasts that he has recorded with other people. And he talks about um, our need for co-regulation and uh, safety. The polyvagal theory is kind of based on our need for safety from perceived threats and real threats. And uh, co- we co-regulate with each other all the time. But if we are, um, and that provides a foundation for self-regulating and resiliency later. So we need that in our lives. We need to see each other's faces and we need to hear each other's voices. Yeah. And that helps us regulate. 
and um, kind of like a parent talks to their child with a higher pitch sing-songy voice that is more right. regulating than a low voice, which we use when we sense danger. What do, you, what do you mean regulating? Regulating what? Our nervous system. Oh, okay. So our nervous system, it goes up and down. So we have the central nervous system and the autonomic nervous system. But Stephen Porges thinks that they're branches of the same thing. It's all one giant nervous system. Sure, sure. But the autonomic nervous system is kind of like what regulates your fight, flight, freeze responses mm. in your body. And it can raise tension in your body and it can make your heart rate go up. It, it, it regulates your internal organs that you don't always have conscious, they operate without your conscious control. Okay. So you can, from the bottom up, feel comfortable and cozy, like looking at me right now, listening to my voice and feeling connected and cozy. Right. Or you can, from the top down, from your head, tell your body, I am safe. I am fine. I am in a warm place. There is no reason to be anxious. And that's all what mindfulness is all about. And people are all, all into mindfulness. But that all happens best when we co-regulate and we are designed as mammals to be in community and connection with each other. Just like dogs, pack animals. Yeah. Or, yeah. So what, yeah, what have you been doing in your four days since I've talked to you? <laughs> yeah, researching all, all that. I, I, last week I studied pathological demand avoidance. Okay. But that's not something you talk about every day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so there's, a, and it's part of your nervous system, demand avoidance. And it's being described by psychologists as um, an anxiety response, like a panic attack. Mm. When people feel actually, when a demand is placed on them or a perceived demand, they want to avoid it because they feel trapped or afraid. Pathological demand avoidance is a thing in England, in the the UK, Mm. but it's not in the United States yet. It's gaining awareness and momentum, but it's not a description on the DSM-5 or anything like that. Yeah. That's why I started studying the polyvagal theory and the theory of safety. I see. Yeah, safety versus not safety. You might have a feeling in your body. Like you might have a side stitch and I see uh, your face get scrunched up. And when I see your face get scrunched up, I can't tell you have a side stitch. I just see your face get scrunched up. And so I think, oh, you're mad at me. Yeah. And then... In response, that triggers me, and so I become sarcastic to you. Okay. And then I am like, (laughs) why are you being sarcastic? (laughs) That's right. And it's like a series of triggers back and forth with each other. And couples, husbands and wives, can do that. uh, Partners can do that incredibly with each other Mm -hmm. often. And play is something, and laughter is something that helps alleviate that and helps people co-regulate again Mm. and we're always moving in and out of co-regulation we're never like 100 percent co-regulated sure but the more secure and safe you feel the more easily you go back to it and you know find that balance again something physiological or somebody might have walked by and and you have a funny look on your face and yet i right right 
get offended by that. And then I have a response and then it goes back and forth, which can happen between parents and children. I think that's a funny, an interesting two things that you've been studying because I think they do tie in pretty well with um, our topic for today, which is the, the sharing of information between a mom and a daughter over the last decade and for the next decade how like, what, how to share information with each other, what to share, where our boundaries are. There is a lot of demand avoidance in our personal history. <laughs> well, not to the pathological sense, but, but yes. What do you mean not to the pathological sense? Pathological means that you can't control it. Our, ours, oh. our, ours, I would You're say, right. is um, decided demand avoidance. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I thought about it because there's... The feeling underneath it isn't necessarily a choice. Mm. The feeling that I, I had an idea about what I wanted to share with you, and then I feel like you're infringing upon that boundary, and I'm and I'm scared about what to do about that. That that's just a feeling that happens. Yeah, because you're not sure whether or not you can contain what the other person has to share, or you want to contain, or you have an opinion. Yeah. So what was that like for you growing up, and how is it now? Well, information uh, sharing. Yeah. It starts with the simplest ways that we share information with each other is, how are you? How are you feeling? How was your day? Which is important toward deeper Mm -hmm. sharing. And my personal experience with sharing with you growing up had a lot to do with uh, my circumstances and my birth order, I mm. think. Just like the way that I took on responsibility as an older sister uh, role model. Because growing up, I've always liked sharing things with you. We have a very like communicative relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of two things. They're two separate things. So maybe we'll just do one or the other. But uh, my st- everyone shares within their own personality. Um so growing up with two other sisters that were varying levels of interested in sharing their day every day, mm-hmm. I took it upon myself when we got home from school to set the example and be the one that was readily available to answer your questions. So mm-hmm. that at least someone was picking up the slack for answering about how the day went at school. <laughs> you um, shouldered a lot of responsibility with regard to uh, communication and leading the way. And we put a responsibility on you. And not not having traveled the road before, being a bewildered as a parent about the shutdown in conversation <laughs> and um, not exactly sure how to foster new conversation about different things. Well, I learned a lot uh, about how to communicate with people. And I, I think I really enjoyed that for the most part. It didn't feel like a burden most days to... Uh, to share with you and be the first one to put things up because it became evident to me what you want, like what you wanted to hear about, what... Are you thinking of high school? No, like elementary school. Yeah, what was important to you? It was important to you whether or not I had a good time with friends or I I had felt sad that day with friends. It was important to you if my teacher said anything about homework, um, if there's anything you had to do. And I remember sort of like ticking throughout the day one or two things to be like, that's a good thing to tell mom on the car ride home. 
you were that thoughtful about it? Yeah, not every day, but I have that like kind of deep, I don't know, memory about that. That is called metacognition. That is a high executive function. Wow, you are so mature at a young age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a person that wants to communicate yeah. and thinks about it. Thank you. Made life easier for me. <laughs> the other thing that I had thought about, which is different, um, and I don't know if we've mentioned this, the communication between you and I personally is that I knew how to share with you and that you wanted me to share with you, but sometimes your response was not as enthusiastic as I expected. Yes. And that has been the one tricky thing between you and I. And I think we've learned a lot from that, and I think we're in a far more gracious place now. Well, I hope. But I hope that I've story. grown. I hope I've become more enthusiastic. We have... And and I've become better at understanding you and and um, how you express things. Yes. Thank you. That's good to know. It was like a, a dagger stab in my stomach when you were in second grade. So I had been a parent all of, what, seven years. <laughs> right. I was in my young, young 30s, early 30s. And you came home and said, Mom, my teacher said I would be, you'd be so excited about that, and you're not excited at all. Oh, my gosh. Do you remember that? He, I remember you telling <laughs> me the story. And then I was just like, oh, I'm not enthusiastic enough. And we have a friend in our life who is over-the-top enthusiastic all the time, and I just think, oh, I can never be that enthusiastic. People want to talk to her and not me because she's way more enthusiastic <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how I came around to that. I was in the midst of one person who was a around elementary schoolers all the time, and she was very monotone and very deadpan because she thought she was like an after-school care worker, and she thought you know elementary schoolers were melodramatic or something. Hmm. Somehow I absorbed like, oh, maybe that's a good way to be is more monotone and, and less enthusiastic. Whereas we had other people in our midst who were super way more enthusiastic. So um, that's interesting. I, I see what you're saying, though, because I do have a value in, in talking to an adult. I mean, talking to a child with um, like respect and dignity, which a lot of uh, just people in general, when they begin with like the high, higher voice when talking to a child, it becomes pretty patronizing pretty fast yeah and I do know that that was something that you and dad worked on was like making sure that we felt respected and like even our little you know things about life felt um like you were taking them seriously, seriously. Like they were worthwhile yeah so I have a, a tendency with children to make sure that my voice isn't getting higher all the time mm -hmm. to talk to them conversationally the way I would someone else. Yeah. But you're right. I wonder if that has the uh, the effect of also sometimes um, making making you less available emotionally to be like super over the top about whatever. <laughs> and I the thing is that I know you want to be authentic. Mm -hmm. And authenticity I definitely should hold a higher rate than something than, you know, just being like excited for the sake of being excited. Well, it's interesting because I know that I did take that to prayer and ask God to help my countenance mm. be um, pleasant and appealing and everything. And uh, now, just even like in the past two days, I know the science behind 
a lot more in the the past year I would say I've learned a lot more about helping um people feel seen right and safe is a lot has to do with my countenance and what I expression I have on my face and um you have learned that well you're pretty good about your facial expression being open and inviting and yeah, yeah, the reflective listening happens in body language just as much as it does in vocal language. Would you say that's something you learned in acting? Yeah, or it is, 100%. So much of acting is reacting, they say. Um, well, uh, here's a funny thing. We uh, we looked at an article, I don't know if you looked at it. The uh, Oh, it was, a, I think it was a Jimmy Fallon mm. interview with... Um, or maybe Jimmy Kimmel. I don't remember the Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Malcolm Gladwell. Okay. And he uh, he was talking about facial reactions and whether they are matched or mismatched. Oh. And he he said you can. He said if you watch an episode of Friends, which everybody loves to do, right? They are always perfectly matched. Their facial expressions match their emotions he said you can turn off the sound and the plot and the storyline goes all over the place he said it would be so hard to whiteboard the storyline of what's happening Mm -hmm. on friends but you don't need it because their facial expressions are so perfectly matched that you can turn off the sound and say ross is sad yeah rachel is excited whatever that's true that's true (laughs) Without um, hearing what they have to say because their facial expressions always match their emotions. And you start to trust someone that way. Right. But humans are not consistently like that. No. Because we're not so easy to trust. (laughs) And the ones we're closest to that we see every day or we let our guard down with probably were more mismatched with than anybody else. Probably. Probably. So then there was a big transition in our lives um, at the end of high school and definitely into college when um, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't so black and white to share with mom. Mm-hmm. Our lives were not in the same place anymore. I was like not at home, <laughs> which is a big difference. Mm-hmm. So the information was a little bit more sporadic. There, there was also became the point where I thought, I don't know that I want to share every part of my mm-hmm. life with you. How does that work? Because I only ever have. And I have placed myself or, you know, it, in, in this place where if no one else will share anything, I can be called upon to share something and step up to the plate. And now I, I wasn't always going to. So how do I, like, respectfully say no to that without totally hurting your feelings and creating a rift between us and where do and do I say that ahead of time or do I just say it in the moment or and like what are my re what's my reasoning for not sharing something with you because I can tell you now especially in college like half the reasons that I wouldn't share specific with you is because I was embarrassed about it or I didn't feel like you would agree with me right on whatever choice I had made or whatever I was doing or you would ask me way more questions than I wanted to ask about it and I just wanted to enjoy the moment like enjoy (laughs) the moment yeah yes 
and that's like arguably not a good reason not to share something. But I think also college is definitely a place to uh, kind of experiment with that. Yeah. And and just say, like, regardless of the reason, is this a boundary that I can make? And we definitely had a hard time figuring that out. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I Again, firstborn, never been through this before. Not sure how it's supposed to look. Um having different family situations with siblings and things like that. And um, my inclination to like press and stretch with information just because of my desire for connection. And uh, so if there wasn't, I, I know now that there was times where I, I did ask too many questions. I pressed too much. I didn't just let you enjoy the moment. It's now stepping back and looking at it as a parent of a college student um, in that transition phase, it's hard, but to acknowledge, maybe even have a conversation about it. If parents had a conversation with their college student to say, hey, our, our communication is going to change a little bit. Um, and I'm going to wait for you to take the lead child <laughs> and mm-hmm. instead of, um, me taking the lead, but like maybe making a schedule, I will talk to you once a week and then we'll, we'll share news. And if you want to call me more than that, that would be great. And then, yeah, for the parent to exercise self-control and not pry and, pester and things like that. I think that that is the the subject of lots of funny movies. Yeah, because it's universal. <laughs> the parents prying and pushing too much and the child recoiling and pulling back and saying, I got this. This is my business. Don't bother me. Uh, so, yeah, we're learning that. So we, we didn't have any conversations before I went to college about that, really. Mm-mm. Dad and I had like a few I don't know. I don't remember what if they were about communication specifically or not. But you and I definitely didn't. No. So what was your reaction the first couple of times that I, that either I, I said, no, I don't want to share that with you, or if it was evident that I was withholding information from you? Oh, uh, definitely the rift and the disconnection. I felt sad and um, probably angry. And um, to, to a degree, I, I learned to be resigned to it, to kind of shrug my shoulders and go, okay, well, this is the new phase of life, which is kind of mm. the way I feel like most people parent and live. They try to figure something out to a, a degree, and if they're more accepting, then they shrug their shoulders and go, I don't understand this, but I'm moving on. I have to move on. Hmm. Um, before we had all the science of the brain and all the time to think about relationships and all the effort in thinking about relationships. My, I'm guessing the people shrugged their shoulders and were like, okay, this is the next stage of life. That's what I've heard from yeah. my parents, at least. That, And what daddy has said about his relationship with his parents, that he just moved out and said, I need to... I, I need to not live at home this summer. He came home for summer between junior, sophomore and junior year. And he was home for two weeks. And then he said, I can't stay here. And he got up and left, you know. So And they didn't, like, me, press him on that? No. 
the, the, not the story that I hear, and, and they probably felt really sad also. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does seem to me like the early 20s is such a period of wandering, um, with it, which is worthwhile, but it's a little shocking for the mm. parents who mm-hmm. aren't prepared for it. Um, and, you know, to forget, like I forgot, we've been so invested and connected for 18 years to step back and go, oh, yeah, actually, you know, when I went to college, I didn't talk to my parents that often. And mm. e- even less so then because we didn't have cell phones where we connected with each other. So there wasn't the expectation to do that kind of thing. Did you find a, a like a rift in your your uh, relationship with your parents when that happened? Yeah, I'm sure Were that there, like, it was arguments much more... or lots of passive aggressiveness or anything. I, I think it would just became a lot more detached, and uh, you know, I don't know how sad my parents felt. I never mm-hmm. checked in with them. I can't say if I if it was passive aggressive or not because I don't really feel like my parents were pushy about okay. trying to be connected I see. to me. And they, again, they are coming from their generation, which was even more detached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my parents moved around and moved for farther away from their parents, so they were even more detached. So in a sense, they kind of must have had that frame of mind. Mm-hmm. And I think they would have liked that connection. Interesting. They didn't ask for it. You definitely asked for it, and you got, as we figured out college you became very good at saying like how you feel and Mm. um allowing it to be a little bit vulnerable on your side i i feel worried about you i feel disconnected i feel like i'm not giving getting a whole picture and i want wholehearted ingrid Mm. which helped to like give some context it was a a step better than like just berating you know it was like call me call me call me (laughs) <laughs> you said something interesting before. You said, like, what if parents mm. were able to, first of all, get be reminded themselves that this step is coming and have a conversation with their child beforehand to set up, like, a win- once-a-week call or any of those kind of things? Mm-hmm. But my response to that would be, mm-hmm. I, I don't think, from my perspective, that mm-hmm. you would be uh, satisfied. Because it's not... The amount of time that we talk, it's the depth to which we talk. We could talk every single week, but if I only give you platitudes, you're going to be mad and and Mm. frustrated and feel left out. And that leads to a lot more passive-aggressive comments or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, or like payment in kind or or like blaming Mm. later. That's, in my experience, that's not what you're looking for. It's, you're looking for, uh, you know, vulnerability. And connection. That's, that's interesting. You don't think I would be satisfied with the, the once a week call? I, I don't think it matters how much the time is, especially in college. I think, um, I don't think it mattered how much I talked to you. It mattered that what I wasn't saying. You, you would have pushed mm. and pushed and pushed, yeah. even if I talked to you every single day, because you didn't feel like you were getting the true me. Yeah, yeah, that's a really hard, lonely path of a parent, I will say. <laughs> that is, um, my voice lowers because it's not safe. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that just, 
it, it's first of all, it's it's abrupt and yeah. and shocking that um, the um, okay, bye, off you go to college, and then then the conversation is cut off. So that's abrupt and and shocking and hard. Um, and then um, then the, all all the feelings of disconnection and and letting your child go is um that is hard that's a lonely road especially when you've been so connected and you had one role and one position it's not glamorous it's not really a promotion (laughs) (laughs) as a parent Uh, I mean if you if if you thought if I thought of my the way I spent most of my time for 20 years was in efforts to be an intentional parent and present um, more than having my own other activities and career or pastimes and whatnot, then um, all of a sudden then that changes abruptly. And, um, And that's really hard. But that is something for me to deal with and and for all parents you know the, it, to recognize i had it described to me um by a, a therapist one time the the um kind of the mm. roller coaster of life events and when you're at a high point then you're going to watch yourself come down the hill to a low point but you want to be going back up you want to have something to go up to so that you don't stay in the valley because then you face mm. depression. And I think um, what I didn't understand or give weight to, partly because you were my first child and I still had children yeah. at home, was um, what is on the horizon for me? What is on the upside of the roller coaster next? You know, I'm in this valley right now of a changing relationship with you. And I didn't... I didn't understand that. So if there was something that I would encourage parents of young adults would be um, make sure that you're looking at what is on the horizon next mm. for you. And um, so that kind of the the metaphor, not all your eggs yeah, are in yeah. one basket, not all of your your energy and efforts are, are on your uh, child who has left because... Uh, it's it's not a promotion and it probably shouldn't be thought of that way it's just a, a cycle of life yeah um but when we think of it i guess when i have thought of it you know like this is where i have spent my time and all yeah. of a sudden the rug is pulled out from under me and i'm not appreciated and um i'm kind of left standing there so then yeah there's underlying resentments that are probably directed at you that you had really nothing to do about. You were just living your life. That's really fascinating because I I did feel those resentments toward me and I, I, I expected your response to be different because of that. But what you're saying is that actually there was, it was less about working on our relationship in that moment and, and more about reassessing each of us individually. Yeah. Yeah, that definitely, when a relationship changes, it is an opportunity to reassess 
individual. And then that that changes the relationship, oh. but the more that we tried to like rehash what was happening between us, the less worked because there was there were actually deeper questions to ask and answer. Information sharing changes. Maybe trying to hold an over uh, clinging to nostalgia. Mm. <laughs> That's true, actually, from my point for sure, because I, I definitely was frustrated. Sometimes I still am, but I think mostly in college was, was really frustrated with the loss of nostalgia because as as much as I could be frustrated or just annoyed with like your my my perception that you really wanted to like keep the relationship we had and keep me as your little girl or whatever. I also really wanted <laughs> like that comfort still. And there's mm. something really really precious about a mom and daughter relationship that I felt a loss of even as I really wanted some independence and wanted to figure out how to have a boundary with you. I I still had to then mourn the fact that it wasn't safe anymore in the way it had been. And it, it like grows into a, a new sort of comfort in a different relationship. But there is a moment you were like, oh, like I'm never, because I've made this decision, which is the better decision as we grow <laughs> up, I'm never going to just, you know, come home to... Um, Ten-year-old, like, eight-year-old eight yeah, Ingrid. Exactly, where, like, mom is superwoman and can do no wrong. And it's like, no, like, mom's a real human. And now I get the depth and richness of a real human relationship with you. Mm. But you're not, you're, you're human, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we get glimmers of it and snapshots of it. But it's not, like, one whole continuous picture, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. I'm I'm anticipating in the next five years another level of weirdness between you and I in information sharing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm assuming at some point I'll like get in a relationship with a guy, and that will be another level of like I don't know what we do between the two of us now. Because what is so nice about our relationship now is that we agree on everything. <laughs> That I'm doing pretty much, you know? Um, So that makes it easy now. Maybe we'll have um, people to talk to about that and say, how did you handle this? You're right. I hope so. And I hope that maybe we can, like, revisit this podcast when that happens and remind ourselves to maybe assess a little further which parts of this, you know, uh, dissonance is really something I have to work on personally and which parts of it are a relational thing. I will say I'm already further down the road to of health than I was when you were in college uh, from these uh, parent ed classes that I've taught because the art director has um, done the research and the study on something called the maturity model that people move mm. from infancy to childhood to... Um, adulthood to parenthood to seniorhood and um, she uh, always talks about when people get stuck at certain phases and ages and Hmm. you know you're not supposed to get stuck you're supposed to move move on through them 
And so, uh, and it's an opportunity to look at what are the characteristics of parenthood and where am I in that right now? And am I supposed to, is this time for me? It's almost time for me to move on to that um, seniorhood phase. And Hmm. now for me, and fortunately for you, (laughs) I understand that. So the senior uh, moves on to becoming a blessing to the community, not just the one autonomous family unit, but then more to the community. So I already have that understanding and that perspective that I hope that I can take forward in these next five years as I understand that you are moving through adulthood um, mm-hmm. And it'll be a while before you're moving to the parent phase, hopefully. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, that that I will uh, not cling too tightly to mm. the parent phase myself, but will o- open my hands to it and say, "Okay, yeah, I've, I've done that. Now, now I'm moving on to this other." phase and extending looking to the community and where I can bless and be involved right. in, in the larger community wow. which is exciting and gives me hope and purpose I always like purpose mm. I always like to understand my purpose and yes. so I appreciate that maturity model but I think if I didn't know that that I'm, we would be heading for rocky shores sure <laughs> yeah and I think uh on my side, coming into adulthood, the, the challenge that I have is um, not not placing too much stock in your emotions in the in whatever moment, because I, as the child, have a hard time knowing how to set boundaries healthfully and keep them in the face of of uh, offending you. Or hurting you. Mm. So I have to separate my own identity f- and, and like okayness from however you react in any given moment mm-hmm. so that we can both be separate humans. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that is my, that's my challenge going from a child to adulthood. And I think um, that can be eased when you um, give context to something or put put mm-hmm. put a frame around it like so okay yeah. here's a new situation coming up and right, even by the very nature of saying here's a new situation coming up yeah you're, yeah true you're giving it a frame um which helps me see it's not a blob it's like the difference between a lake and a swamp is that a lake has mm-hmm. boundaries and a swamp just oozes everywhere true yeah <laughs> yeah so um, yeah, and there's a good there's a good part of childhood that says I'm not okay if mom's not okay, because mom's my protector, and my example. Hmm. So, to to create boundaries around myself means that I can still be okay if mom's going through something. Hmm. And that that is a I I don't know the. I'm not a swamp, but I'm not fully a lake yet. <laughs> <laughs> There's road construction to be done. We're, um, well, that's the concept of moving in and out of co-regulation. And mm. um, 
but as you grow, see, before probably a, a parent to a child, the parent is kind of more responsible for initiating the co-regulation. Although the parent yes. parent receives regulation from a child, even an infant, because you respond, mm. you know, you stop crying. Yeah. When a child doesn't yeah. stop crying, it's... Um, it's uniregulation or something like that. I heard the term. Sure, sure, sure. And it's it's um, not regulated, truly. And or, or yeah, uniresponse. And it, it's that's what is stressful for a parent when the child doesn't mm. respond. Um, and a parent's uh, resiliency and and a growth in um, the length of time it takes for a child to move into regulation always mm. grows. But, you know, parent is always looking for their child to co-regulate. Um, yeah. And so, but when you become an adult, then you will sometimes be the initiator of the regulation. The right. Co- yeah. Co-regulation. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. You'll turn it back. So. Yeah. There's a new phase. Well, I think that was really constructive and helpful <laughs> for us and hopefully for, for listeners. Yeah, information sharing. Yeah, and that happens to say a lot about our relationships as a whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. High five, Ingrid. Well, I love you, Mom. I love High you. High five. <laughs> Air five. Figuring out life together. That's right. Thank you for listening to Hug and a High Five. Yep, thanks for listening. If you'd like to suggest a topic ask us a question or share your mom daughter story please email us at hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com that's hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com all words hug and a high five podcast at gmail.com have a great week <laughs>